Engaging Leader Podcast, Episode 13. Does your leadership inspire trust, passion, and action? Welcome to the Engaging Leader Podcast with Jesse Leahy, consultant, writer, and speaker. Jesse has helped executives engage hundreds of thousands of people. Join us now for principles to communicate, engage, and lead with greater impact. Welcome, leaders. Hey, today our topic is socially smart, things Gen Y needs to know that schools aren't teaching. On today's show, I'm joined by the communication diva, Jen Swanson. Now, I want to acknowledge right from the start that we all have a lot to learn from those both older and younger than us. I was recently listening to the podcast, Coaching for Leaders, and the host, Dave Stachowiak, shared a great quote from Ralph Waldo Emerson, who said, "'Everyone I meet is in some way my superior,' in that I learn from him. In this episode, we're going to be focusing on some of the things that Gen Y and even Gen Z can learn from older generations and how older leaders can coach the younger ones. But I want to be clear that although we won't have time to go into it today, there is a great deal that Gen Y and Gen Z can teach to the older generations. Jen Swanson is the host of the podcast Communication Diva, And she is the author of the ebook, How to Be Professional in the Workplace. Jen teaches human relations skills at the college level part-time, and the other part of the time she works with high school students in youth ministry. Jen and her husband Scott have four kids, two in college and two in elementary school, which is pretty similar to my family's makeup. Welcome to the show, Jen, and I have to say it's nice to connect with someone else who has four kids. (laughs) Thank you very much, Jesse. It's great to be here. So you spend a lot of time coaching and teaching and thinking about helping young people succeed. Yeah, I do. I the college level is uh, my classrooms are are multi age classrooms because it's a specific um, particular training program in healthcare, and so I do get uh, students that are anywhere from eighteen years old to you know, 48. Um, but the uh, youth that I work with at the, uh, the in the ministry setting are younger than that. So they are what we would call Generation Z. How, how would you define Generation Y and Generation Z? So Generation Y are sometimes called millennials, and they are typically born in the mid-1980s to 2000, uh, being raised by baby boomers for the most part. They're pretty tech-savvy, they're plugged in, um, and we, we could even say that some of them, the ones that were born in the mid-1990s uh, and later, would be the non-Gutenberg generation, so <laughs> ones that did were not born uh, without computer access. Uh, they prefer text messages and email to telephone calls, which is interesting. They tend to have high debt loads. There are a lot of student loans floating around in this generation. They're achievement-oriented, team-oriented, looking for guidance and feedback, sort of attention craving. 
And one of the things that I've noticed is that they have a different work ethic. They are more interested in uh, quality of time rather than length of time. So the the 40-hour-plus work week is not very attractive because they've seen their parents work like mad and are, are sort of questioning that. That's something I found interesting with this generation as well. And how about Generation Z? Generation Z is sometimes called the digital native generation. And again, these are people that are born 1995 to 2010, I think is what the parameters are. And they are very globally connected. They've been born with uh, computers in their hands, pretty much. Um, They are being raised by Generation X, which is my generation. And their learning styles have actually changed. The methods that they they learn by at the educational level are very different than those that uh, I grew up with. So there are computers in every classroom. Some of them have iPads in the classroom. Most of them are connected some way with social media. And uh, they tend to be really tolerant of diverse cultures, and again, global citizens, more so than previous generations. Now, for the most part, it's, we, don't, we haven't been seeing a lot of Generation Z yet in the, in the workplace, unless, except for maybe, I guess, high school students uh, working in, in student-appropriate positions. But I guess maybe some of the earliest really are, are hitting the professional workplace as well. Yeah, very few. I think I think we're still working with Generation Y for the most part coming in. Yeah, coming into the workplace. Now, you mentioned to me that you've noticed a problem that's that's happening with a lot of the of the Generation Y as they as they hit the marketplace. Mhm. I have noticed it and and it hasn't just been me noticing it. It's um uh, a lot of the people that I've spoken with and some of the media reports that I've heard um, have also noticed the problem of missing behavioral and social skills that previous generations seem to have inherently. And so this generation seems to be missing some of those things that maybe we would consider basic communication skills and uh, and basic behavioral skills that um, that haven't been missing before. And the problem with this is that it's costing industry a fair bit of time and quite a lot of money because there needs to be training programs that are more extensive and more time spent orientating people um, to some of these basic behavioral skills. That's interesting. I think it was Peter Drucker, if I'm not mistaken, that said manners is the lubrication that that makes business work and when he said manners he wasn't just talking about you know how you hold your fork he was talking about <laughs> how you how you relate to people that you can be have all the other business skills needed or or any technical skills that, or creative skills that are appropriate in, in your profession but if you don't have some of the social skills it's kind of like driving a car without lubrication that you're just causing a mess as those um, components rub up against other people in your within your organization. Yeah, that's absolutely true. Daniel B. Goleman, who wrote the, the book, well, several books, but the first book on emotional intelligence also talks about that and says that if, if people can't play well together, 
uh, it's very difficult to work in a, a workplace setting. And so you can come out with all of the technical skills and many of these Generation Y people are coming out with very high technical skills from the programs that they're graduating from. But having spoken with numerous um, college and university instructors and professors, um, the, the common thread seems to be that many of them, not all of them, but many of them are, are very good technically, but have trouble playing with each other. What's an example of behavioral issues that might come up? Well, sometimes it's it's empathy. Sometimes it's consideration of uh, other people, more consideration of each other, working as team players and working for the good of the organization as a group. Sometimes that's a problem. Um, sometimes it's work ethic. It's, uh, it's, you know, getting to work on time and not taking really long work breaks. Um, there, there are numerous areas that seem to be a challenge and um, and even sometimes things as 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 uh, simple as what to wear you know dress code my my website is getting hit every day by what to wear to work what uh, what outfits are appropriate in what settings and I don't know why there's a gap I don't know why there are things that are missing um, well, I, I have a theory about why some of these things are missing, but conflict issues are increasing and, and most of the conflict issues arise because of poor communication. So what's your theory about why it's increasing? One of the stories that, that I tell is that when I was, uh, you know, 12, 13, I would be hanging out with some of my girlfriends and we would be on the bus and we'd be very loud and goofing around and laughing. And any adult on the bus could easily say, hey, girls, settle down. And we would. We'd be quiet and we'd listen because you did that. That's what happened. But nowadays, people are afraid to make those calls. And in fact, there was a story this summer on a subway in New York where uh, a man asked a group of young girls to, to quieten down. I guess they were, I don't know if they were swearing or what they were doing, and ended up being stabbed as a result. I mean, it was pretty shocking. So most people are afraid to say anything anymore. So you don't have the societal responsibility for raising children happening anymore. And when I was uh, speaking with a leadership class, a 12th grade leadership class in the spring, I asked, I put that story to them and I asked them a question and I said, how many of you, and there were 30 in the classroom, I said, how many of you have had dinner at least twice this week around the table with your family without the television on? And maybe five out of the 30 put up their hands. Parents are busy. People are working. There are all sorts of activities that people are racing off to here and there and everywhere. And so the time to talk and the time to communicate and, and learn some of these social behaviors is diminished in, in the busyness of our world. And so if, if parents aren't able to do the teaching and if society is afraid to do the teaching and the school system you know, not all schools, but for the most part, many, many schools um, are also not teaching these skills, then, then there's a big gap. And you've mentioned that when you see resumes that are coming in from Generation Y people, they often will mention excellent communication skills. And employers <laughs> are finding that they don't really have the excellent communication skills. Well, you know, and... It, if you have to say that you have excellent communication skills, chances are that maybe you don't, mm. um, is what we're finding. <laughs> 
and, and communication skills are not limited to how well you write or how well you can articulate, but they are also, you know, again, what you wear when you walk into the interview, you know, how you present yourself, how you conduct yourself. And uh, it's, it's so much bigger than just some of the little, little things. When you don't have training in emotional intelligence, you can you can just totally miss on cues that you should be getting. You may not have any awareness of uh, people's roles. I, you know, I think back to the story you you told about the being on a bus with kids. I guess that that did resonate with me as I as I've noticed over the years when you know when you and I were kids, we're both Generation X. When you and I were kids, you were you called people Mister and Mrs. So and So, and you were pretty respectful of anyone in an area of authority. And now kids don't speak that way. In fact, even we, we generally speaking, our, our kids don't. My, my own four kids don't really go around saying Mr. and Mrs. We, we originally did start to teach them that way, but they continually had adults say, oh no, just call me so-and-so. It, it, it's, it's kind of the culture now, and maybe it's for, for better or for worse, the culture now doesn't, it, it's almost awkward to have somebody calling somebody else you know, Mr. Smith, that doesn't mean that it's not helpful intelligence to recognize what role somebody's in and where maybe they have an authority or they have an expertise that you should be respectful of. And anyway, that's just one Mm -hmm. example where uh, the the current culture and maybe a whole generation here, um, for better or for worse, I'm sure there's good things about, you know, not being, let's say, overawed by somebody who happens to be in a position of authority or happens to be, have a reputation for uh, a high level of expertise or excellence, and oh, I better just keep quiet in this meeting. But but still, to 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 kind of uh, be blind about some of those realities is maybe harmful as well. Well, it can be. I mean, working in healthcare, one of the things that I've noticed is that. Um, you know, take for example in a doctor's office, it used to be that the receptionist or the, the medical office assistant would would call the next patient by Mr. or Mrs. and invite them in. And that's pretty rare nowadays. You hear them calling them by their first um, first and last name. And part of that could be as well that, you know, there's a lot of divorce around. Who knows if it's Mrs. anymore? And, uh, and so it may be that, uh, that some of those norms have changed. And so, so some of, of, you know, how we call each other has changed as well. Um, one of the things that I, I, I wonder about also is, is marketing and advertising. And in our North American culture, I, I'm thinking of children's television programs and, and thinking of the younger kids that we have in our house. Um, it used to be that parents were seen as, you know, important figures or, or authority figures or something. And now there's a shift to where rather than being the gatekeepers, particularly in, in advertising, um, parents are, are shown to be bumbling fools. You see a lot of movies where the adult figures are, are ridiculous. You look at the movie Matilda, which is, you know, aimed at 10 and 12-year-olds, and I've seen way too many times in my house, but we've had really good <laughs> conversations about it because the teacher, the, the principal or the teacher is, is terrifying. The child is the smart one. The adults are complete fools. And, and this seems to be rather pervasive if you look at, at television and, and advertising for that age group. Where, where the parents are twits and the kids are the smart ones. And, and so why, why would they respect adults? 
And you you've pointed out too that there's it, it's it's sort of a, a paradox because there's uh, kind of more communication going on than ever. And you, you you had pointed out that you know this generation they're very uh, social media savvy, and the average uh, teenager and young adult just sends an enormous amount of texts every day, for example. I think for a teenager, it's something like 300 text messages a day. There's a lot of communication going on, but it may not actually be better. More doesn't necessarily mean better. No. And, and my 18-year-old son said said uh, not that long ago, he says, well, we all communicate all the time. It doesn't mean we're any good at it. I use social media. I love text messaging. I use it all the time. Um, I don't think it's an either-or situation. I think it's it's here to stay. It's a reality. It's um, we have to learn to live with it and to handle it and to deal with it. But we also don't want to lose the value of the face-to-face communication and. And that, you know, some of the assignments I give my students have to do with active listening. And I give them an assignment and the steps to how to actively listen to one another. And I get reports back that this is the first time that, you know, the girlfriend has had a conversation with her boyfriend where they haven't had their phones out. <laughs> and and I'm continually stunned by, by this kind of thing. And I should stop being stunned by it because this is the reality that everywhere you go, people are... are you know, constantly updating themselves and texting and, and communicating. But it means that there are a lot of people not being present in the now. And I think we miss a lot when that happens. You, you, you miss what's happening and, and maybe you don't stop and take and just consider how you are communicating and what kind of a, an impact you are making on other people. Yeah, I was I was just going to say that's true and and that you know the, the generations need to also understand each other because what might seem to be uh, disrespect or rudeness to you know older generations may just simply be inattentiveness for the younger generation. It is just a, a basic component of emotional intelligence that you are you're, you're kind of sensitive, you got your radar up you, to how you are impacting other people. Uh, you're, the way you communicate, whether in writing or in person, that's making an impression on others. It's, it's producing certain feelings in them. And you know, emotional intelligence in, involves being aware of, of that impact. And so for a young adult to not be aware, for example, that the way I'm communicating right now is harming my reputation or is harming my, it's limiting my ability to influence uh, the, the group that I'm working with here. That, that's something, you know, we all make blunders, but you need to be aware of what's happening and change it going forward. Absolutely. And that's, that's the purpose behind me writing my ebook. And, and hopefully this spring it will be an actual hard copy book because I plan to expand it and add to it having done more more research in this area. But what I'm noticing in, in my classroom is it's just exactly what you say. It's a matter of awareness. And there doesn't seem to be a vehicle anymore anywhere for young people to become aware of these things. Now, some people naturally do. Some people have um, great communication skills inherently. And, uh, and other people, all it takes is a little bit of an awareness, you know, that your cell phone ring is a communication. 
you know, so if you're trying to be professional in a workplace setting and you've got, you know, Van Halen screaming out of your cell phone, it will say something about you and it may not be uh, the kind of image you're trying to project. So, so there's, there are little tiny things that are, are even, not even in the consciousness of people in this generation, so it seems. So that's an interesting example, your, your ringtones, let's say, and some people would say, well, I'm, I'm just trying to be authentic with, with who I really am. I mean, you're not really saying that everybody needs to just try to fit in a box and conform, are you? No, I'm not. But what I'm trying to say is just to be aware mm-hmm. that the perception of others is their reality. So, whether, whether you just adore Van Halen, which I do, <laughs> or, or not, it's sending a message. And it's not up to us how that message is received by others. They make that decision. So, other people might, might hear your cell phone ring and think, oh, pff, you know, and, and think some crazy story in their head about you, which is absolutely not true. Um, but when we don't talk about it or communicate uh, about why we have this cell phone ring, then assumptions are made, and the assumptions are what hurt, right? And so, um, you know, you you might have um, you might adore cats, and you might have cats all over your desk, and little doodads that have to do with cats, and pictures of cats, and all that. Well, that's a communication. And if you're trying to project a professional image, then that might not be the best way to decorate your desk. Now, it might be if, if you're comfortable with that and, and the setting is right. I mean, it all depends on what your, your intention is and your motivation is. What, what image do you want to project? And you can, you can help that um, by some simple things. So one, one step. I guess it starts with being aware of there are certain things that communicate things about you. And number two is to be intentional uh, where, you're, where you're aware that there are, you've got things that it's communicating about you. Then think about, is that really what I want to be communicating? And then making mm-hmm. a decision, do I want to keep Van Halen as my ringtone? You know, and maybe that's fine. Do I want to change that? I want my personal brand to be X and I don't think Van Halen is consistent with X, so let me change that. Or maybe I do want to keep Van Halen, but then I need to be prepared to sort of uh, explain that at, at times and when it's appropriate. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, I have a ridiculous cell phone ring that my kids picked for me. And uh, if I'm in a professional setting, I just put it on vibrate so that, you know, I'm not giving off the wrong uh, impression. <laughs> <laughs> it is it is just awareness and it's choice. And, and again, it's other people's perceptions. It depends on... on uh, on what you want to project. We all create our brand, as you say, and create our image. And we do that through social media. You can, you can edit your life very handily on Facebook or, uh, or Twitter and just tell people what you want them to believe, right? But we forget that we can't do that very easily in person unless we're aware of what image it is that we want to project. And sometimes it's simply, it's language, it's language as well. I know that uh, I, I say to my class, words like like, <laughs> for instance, are pervasive in this generation. And it's a habit that's there. And it doesn't make the person using that kind of language sound very intelligent. And I do it as well. And I really try and catch myself when I'm doing it. But for some people, it's every second word is like, like, like. And I said it, it. It's unfortunate because it makes 
people assume that you're less intelligent than you are, when it's really not the truth, it's the perception. Now, we've been talking so far more to the younger adult, the, the person who is from Generation Y or younger, uh, mm-hmm. and who would like to be a leader in the, in the workplace about how they can manage their communications. And I'm sure you go into a lot of that in your, in your ebook. But what about to the, 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 the Generation X and the boomers and older leaders to, who need to be uh, influencing and helping and, and hiring out of Generation Y and younger? What, why is this important for those leaders as well? I think it's important to have some understanding of where Generation Y and younger are coming from so that patients can be employed and and also I think that there are things that we can learn from this generation. Um, I, you know, I, I'm, I don't want to make it sound like Generation Y is, you know, full of problems and all the rest of it. I think everybody has communication issues, you know, all of us, me included. And, and I really believe that it's a practice rather than an expertise. So I think that we all could use a little communication help and, and some awareness, taking a look at how we communicate with others. And so for the older generations uh, that are working with people that maybe don't have some of the social skills, I think, uh, I think understanding and patience and empathy are key and, uh, and a willingness to engage. Because, I, again, I do think there are things that, you know, the older generations have not done fabulously and, uh, and we could learn some things from the younger generation. Interesting. So, so, so having some tolerance and also some humility and openness to learning would be, would be one, one aspect of, of responding to the, the younger adults. Yeah, I don't know if I would use tolerance. I, I, I think I would use acceptance okay. rather than, than that because um, tolerance to me implies that they're, they are a problem and I've got to tolerate <laughs> it. Uh, I, I would say acceptance that, mm-hmm. you know, there are people that are coming in with a different skill set. You know, they come in very tech savvy. They, they, uh, they have that sort of ingrained in them and we have had to learn the technology um you know these are are people coming in with um uh with different economic backgrounds different debt loads different uh orientations um and and i think we just need to to figure out how to work together because people that have been in the workplace for a long time the workforce for a long time have expertise as well uh, and different skills. And I think if we can figure out how to talk to each other and how to work together, then we'll, we'll all learn from each other. I think that's, uh, that's one of the key things. Should the older leaders, they should accept it, but should they also be thinking about training some of these skills? Maybe mentoring. Mm-hmm. Um, taking people alongside and, uh, you know, mentoring relationships are fabulous when you're looking at a workplace where there are are generational differences. Um, You know, there are industries bringing in trainers and coaches and people to help new employees. 
how the industry or the business would like their image to be projected to the outer world. And so how do you, you know, things like how do you answer the phone? How do you talk to customers? How do you speak to people who are upset? How do you deal with conflict? Sometimes people haven't even considered their own conflict styles. And so just being aware of what your own conflict style is can help you navigate some of the landmines that are out there. We just recently interviewed Fred Garcia, who mentioned that leaders think they are very good at communication, and maybe they're not. And it kind of comes from the fact that they've been communicating ever since they were young children. So, so it doesn't seem like something you really needed to get training in or to be intentional about or to, to think a lot about. It just sort of happens. And, and I suppose that's true here. The, the uh, Generation Y and younger, they've been communicating ever since they were young children and probably a lot more than we communicated in different uh, digital methods. It can kind of trick you enough so that you, you actually put down excellent communication skills on your resume. But having that uh, awareness, and, and then also, I guess, as you said, as, you know, as, as an older leader, having some acceptance that, hey, just because I don't necessarily view this as appropriate communication, uh, you know, may, maybe, maybe I just need to be, be relaxed a little bit and, and work with it. But, but also keep in mind some opportunities to, to come alongside a, a younger adult and and mentor them and and find you know in those teachable moments where maybe you do have something that would be useful for them to learn on this topic and and i think sometimes too one of my questions to a person who's written excellent communication skills on a resume is i i will say what what do you mean by communication skills? You know, how would you define communication skills? What are you talking about? Because perhaps they are talking about computer communication, technical communication, as opposed to people skills. Maybe their definition is different, in which case, yes, maybe they do have fantastic communication skills in that one area. But I think we have different definitions of what a communication skill is, too. That's true. And, and it's interesting in addition to the interpersonal skills that you're mentioning, when I see that on a resume, I always, the first thing I compare it to is how they've been communicating with me through email. And of course, mm-hmm. you know, Gen X, we're, we're pretty email heavy. Gen Y is, is not so much so. They're, they're definitely more text message savvy and social media savvy. And so mm-hmm. you, get, you do get these, <laughs> you get emails that are not well-constructed, either the, the grammar is poor or there's no structure to it, so you just can't get to the meaning quickly enough and clearly enough. And so, yeah, there's a lot of different aspects to communication that people really should think about in terms of how to come across professionally and, and also just have the impact that you're hoping for. Mm-hmm. And, and it depends on the kind of job you're aiming for as well. If you're looking for a job that involves a lot of written communication, then it would probably be a good idea to have well-constructed email communication <laughs> with the person who's going to interview you. Um, and if it's, if it's um, you know, a very social, verbal-focused position that you're applying for, then really good telephone messages and, and communication that way. So again, it depends on the context too. Well, Jen Swanson, thank you for joining us. Jen is, the again, the host of Communication Diva, and we can folks can find out more about you at, at communicationdiva.com, and they can also get your ebook there, How to Be Professional in the Workplace, and we'll be looking forward to that coming out in print as well. Thank you so much for having me on. I really enjoyed this conversation. We did enjoy it. Thank you for, for joining us. 
All right, leaders, that wraps up this episode of the Engaging Leader Podcast. If you like our show, please rate us on iTunes. That makes a huge difference in helping more people discover it. Go to engagingleader.com slash iTunes. We would love to know your thoughts about this episode. You can leave comments on our show notes at engagingleader.com or connect with me on Facebook, LinkedIn, or Twitter, where I am at Jesse Leahy. This is a production of Aspendale Communications, a consulting firm where my colleagues and I partner with mid-size and large employers on internal communication strategies. Find out more at aspendalecommunications.com. Our thanks to Joe Sherwood, our producer, Arthur Hankey, our sound engineer, Cliff Ravenscraft, our podcasting advisor, Rick Tarrant, our announcer, and Christopher Seal, who composed our theme music. Until next time, remember, whether you realize it or not, you are always communicating and leading. Let's make the most of our opportunities to engage the people we care about. 